Hey, Islanders, and welcome to episode 18 of the Kamena Voice. On this episode, I speak to a local artist and owner of Lydia C. Creative Life. Please welcome Lydia Crouch. Hi, I'm Brandon Erickson, and you're listening to the Kamena Voice podcast, where I interview folks around Kamena Island and beyond. If you want to stay up to date on events, businesses, and even hear a little history of this area, Subscribe to this podcast and share with your friends. Thanks for listening. Hey, Islanders, and welcome to another episode of the Kamano Voice, where we release new episodes every Tuesday. Uh, on this episode, I got to speak with Lydia Crouch, and we range kind of all over the place in our conversation. Um, but we really we start with how she got over here from the East Coast, um, how she went on, how she had some neat. Uh, global adventures during her college years, and uh, also some of the struggles that she had um, in really embracing her art. Um, she had been involved in lots of different arts, and uh, but finally settled on painting. But it was the hardest art for her to do, and she gets into that why and 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 some more about that. But then um, we also get into how she met her husband um, and how they've been involved in the community. Uh, plus, she goes into a new project that she has getting started here, hopefully beginning of next year. And lastly, we talk about how she got connected with Jed and his family and how she eventually became an artist here at Dorsey Fine Art Studio. So anyways, without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Lydia Crouch. Hey, Islanders, and welcome to the episode 18 of the Commando Voice. Um, today, I'm sitting here with Lydia Crouch. Thanks for joining me on the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. So um, before we jump into everything, uh, tell us a little bit about Lydia. I go most around town by Mrs. C because I'm married to Rich Crouch, who is a teacher in school, and he goes by Mr. C. And I think if I had to describe myself, I would say I'm a gregarious introvert. <laughs> I love to meet new people, but I, I do treasure my time alone. And I think that's that artist Enneagram for kind of thing coming out on me. So Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I didn't know. So you you know about like you've done Enneagram stuff and research. Just a little, a bit little enough. Okay. You know, you have college kids and they introduce you into all the fun the stuff that stuff. goes around. And um yeah, so I try to keep up, but it's okay. a, it's a struggle when you're you know when your kids launch and they leave the house, it, it gets a little harder. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very cool. Yeah, we my wife and I did a little bit of study on the Enneagram um, a couple of years back. It was really really helpful because I thought it did a I thought it did a better job of personality and explaining them and how they yeah, interact with one another sure. than like the uh, Myers Briggs. Yeah. Like I felt like it was much more, oh, that's why this makes sense. That's why they think this way versus Myers-Briggs always like was slight, not exact. Like it was always right. like, you're a da 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 da, like four letters. And then I would look at the description and say like, okay, this is me, but this is not me. Right, right. And it exactly. never was right on. Whereas the Enneagram, once we figured out our numbers were like, no, this is exactly how I think. And, and so, I'm not trying to argue with you. This is really how I think. I'm yeah. just built this way. Yeah, I yeah. like the Enneagram for that. I think um, it was really helpful for me because I kept trying to fit into a box and a four. We're the most rare yep. type. And then we are, we like being rare, but then we're, we're kind of like the people who go, Hey, look at me, look at me, look at me. And then go, why are you looking at me? You know, it's, like, <laughs> so it's that constant kind of friction inside, but yeah. to know that that's just kind of how I made was really helpful. I didn't stop feeling guilty. So yeah. it was good. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Um, <clears throat> so how did you actually end up moving to Kamano then? I was a career girl in my young thirties working in Washington DC area and um, I was a marketing manager from a $30 million company, and then the building recession hit, and all the marketing managers were looking for jobs, you know? <laughs> and they kept me, they kept hiring me back as a, a consultant, but it wasn't enough to pay your bills. And yeah. um, I was kind of open for anything and realizing I kind of wanted to pursue the arts um, again, because that was really my first love. And were you were you originally from that area? I was born and raised in Alabama. Yeah, oh, and my accent okay. will come back when I fly over the Mason Dixon line. It's just, <laughs> but I've always picked up other people's accents, so I'll sound Northwest when I'm out here, and I'll sound Southern down there. Okay. So my okay. kids laugh at when I'm on the phone though, because it comes back instantly. You know, it's <laughs> yeah. 
But yeah, so um, Graham Kerr was living here on Camino Island. He used to be the Galloping Gourmet. People, um, if you're 30 plus, might remember him. If you're under, you might not. So, But he was a um, television chef, well-known celebrity along the era of Julia Childs. They were contemporaries. And his son and I knew each other and, and his uh, daughter-in-law, Janet and Andy Kerr. And they asked me to come out and work with them and kind of set up their office with them. And so I did that for a year and met my husband and stayed and they left. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. So was that a big culture change moving from East Coast to West Coast up huge, to Seattle? Huge, huge culture change. I think I felt... Um, I instantly loved it here. I mean, a Stanwood Camino in particular, because like the South, I think you know everybody. Everybody knows you. They recognize your car and wave and that kind of thing. And that was very common. Whereas when I lived, I lived in New England, for example, and it was just a different set of rules. But mm-hmm. um, when we got married, everybody was like rehearsal dinner, you know, and if you're from the East Coast, you're wearing a tie and a coat and everything. And around here, we're wearing t-shirts and flip-flops. And, you know, it's like, oh, okay, okay, all right, give me a minute, you know. (laughs) That was my favorite thing moving up here, because we we would go to church. So, I I mean, I'm not from that area, but I grew up uh, until I was about five in Tucson, Arizona. So... And we went to, you know, I think we went to a church called Glad Tidings down there, but, you know, Baptist. Yeah. So, like, every Sunday was, like, dress up in the most uncomfortable clothes in, you know, 100-degree weather, and you have to go to church. Yeah. And, like, it was terrible. (laughs) And I remember when we started going to church here, like, the first few Sundays we showed up, we were, like, dressed like that. And then we're like, this is not how they are up here. And I was so happy when my parents were like, no, you don't need to wear that. You can just wear jeans and a t-shirt. That's fine. I know. And like I could get away. I was so happy. It was it was great. And you know, <laughs> I have grown to really really love it. I mean, you know, I don't wear high heels. I don't think I've I, you know, to a wedding maybe maybe not depending on how old they are, you know, it could be flip-flops. I don't know, but it's 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 I like the relaxed culture here. I like it because it um it does away with a lot of pretense. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, you you meet people at fate, more at face value, yeah. possibly, and and um, I do like that a yeah. whole lot. Yeah, yeah. No, it's nice. I and I was always one for comfort over style. So yeah, um, when I was able to do that, it made me happy. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So how long have you actually been involved uh, as an artist? Then I started. Um, studying or like taking lessons when I was about 11, I begged for art lessons. My father's an architect and I said, teach me how to draw, teach me how to draw. You know, we were laughing about that just the other day. My dad's still living. He's 92 and um, still has a really good eye and really good sense of proportion. And, but um, I took from an artist named Jeannie Maddox in Alabama and she is world renowned. She's had works in the Smithsonian and, all over New York, and Macy's, the um, president of Macy's, bought a painting of hers and wow, invited him okay. up for the Macy's Day Parade. And she's she's not like a hyper-realist, fantastic, great sense of humor. How did you get connected with her? I really don't know. I think <laughs> <laughs> I think a friend of mine, um, Jeannie, and her husband, Sam. Sam is from Dothan, Alabama, where I grew up. And um, I don't know where they lived before, but she started teaching classes. And so I think the deal was that Susan Hart, a friend from elementary school, if she could get together seven people or five, um, then Jeannie would start a class, a separate class. So we were her class and we were all, you know, 11 and 12. I I think we were in sixth grade. And we stuck with her for years. I mean, uh, uh, another friend of mine, Lenita Weaver, who was um, she's a professional artist now, does portrait work in Birmingham, Alabama. And yeah, it's, it's those first of that first class. I think we've all stayed in the arts. It's been really fun. Yeah. Very cool. Um, okay. So then you started there and then you, then you went into, did you go into like, was your degree in marketing? and sales My or? degree. Yeah. <laughs> degrees. Um, <laughs> I took the seven year route through school. I did volunteer work. I only did four years of of college. I learned to lobby really well for credits because I went to several schools. But um, so that was probably my first marketing. Hey, you know, this would really work for this situation. It's called something a little different, but it works just as well. Um, But 
I, I ended up having an independent major from Gordon College. Took art all the way through high school. I was in all the arts, like music, drama, dance, writing, and stayed in all the arts. Went through college, had scholarships, art scholarships. I had a drama scholarship. I had an art scholarship and a um, creative writing and got into script writing and that kind of thing. But I think painting is probably my first love and the one I um, did the least because I was the most scared of, because I was the most vulnerable. Mm-hmm. The others I could kind of hide behind and not, you know, sacrifice it. I think it's different for every person who's in the arts. I mean, everybody who's passionate about their art form will say, this is the most vulnerable one. You know, you listen to a singer, your whole being goes into singing more than any other art. Mm -hmm. And I think it's true for any art, depending on which one you, your heart really sings with the most. Yeah. Uh, Like my kids are musicians and they would probably definitely say, yeah, music is the most gut-wrenching, exhausting, wonderful thing, you know, and, um, so yeah. So, and then I had, um, scholarships to every school I went to, um, and it was really humbling. And then I, uh, would do arts with, um, missions work. I traveled with youth with a mission, which is a worldwide organization. I was in the, uh, went to the world cup soccer games with them in Spain for a tour. We were doing, um, we uh, worked with a group called King's Kids, in, or at that point it was called International Children's Friendship Tours. And we performed at Plaza de España and the ambassador, well, uh, a shipping magnate um, heard us from his penthouse and invited us up and gave us a special reception and with all the ambassadors from the area. Oh, we, wow. It was a blast. You know, just rich experiences and I don't regret taking seven years to get through college. It was, you know, but... So that was all through college. You that were was in... all through the college years. Oh, yeah, very cool. Yeah. So I was like 25 when I graduated. Well, and not only that, but uh, um, just pausing for a sec and digging into that. So, like, um, I feel like a lot more people at in this day and age, like, during college, like, that's more common to be able to travel and go places. But, like, yeah. back then, it wasn't that easy to just jump. It wasn't as cheap or anything to just jump on a plane and go to Europe or something. Like. I know. And I, I still am amazed. I mean, my parents were fantastic. They believed in travel by the time, well, by the time I started high school, I'd been to almost all the states. And, you know, we went cheap and on the fly. I mean, we, we, we went camping or whatever it took, but they, and they wanted us exposed to as many cultures as possible and as many places as possible. I mean, because the South is wonderful and provincial. You know, and not mm-hmm. many people traveled in the South. I think that's totally changed now. Mm-hmm. But um, they just loved meeting people from different cultures, and they kind of instilled that in us, not kind of, in a major way, instilled it in us. And so um, we would constantly host people in our home. You know, if any traveling group was coming through, like Up With People was big when I was little, and um, those kids would be from all over the world, and... We hosted a family from Sweden one time and then went to see them in Sweden. And um, it's just fun to to meet people. And I think I probably would have been a total introvert if it hadn't been for my parents, you know, because they kind of forced us to, you know, say hi, be polite, you know, yeah. and then it's more fun. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah I thought this is awesome. Yeah. So that's very cool. But so, yeah, I agree. I mean, we have two college-age kids. Both of both of them are in gap years. Um, they may or may not finish their degrees, but we've become very okay with that. I mean, both my husband and I, uh, Rich has three degrees. I have one. And But I th- anymore, I think, yeah. honestly, real-life experience trumps because right. college is so expensive. It and is. Then, unless you know what you're going after, it, it really is... I would highly recommend at least a couple of years just to that gap. Mm-hmm. What what would you call it? That transitional time of learning to be on your own, but yeah. you're still protected. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, no, I agree. Yeah. I think it's a very important thing that um, I think a lot more people are being pushed. And in, in this is definitely coming from the background that I was of where I grew up mm. um, of that was a huge push. Like if your kids yeah. didn't go to college, they were going to be starving on, on the street, right? And that was true to a degree at that point. Yeah. Well, that was what was being preached, but that was prior to really the full fruition of what the internet has brought and all of that. Yeah. And so now you see there's still a huge push for these for colleges and stuff like that. But 
you're seeing more and more people come and say, you know what? I don't think I need to do that. Yeah. And if you want to, there's a host of degrees you can do and learn through real life experience right. that you don't need to go get a degree for. Right. And not only that, we're struggling right now with the trades. Like there's, yeah. I mean, you know, working with, <clears throat> helping managing the commons and stuff like the trades, like we need more people in those and the buildings and the electricians and plumbing and all that. Like there's definitely a lot of gaps there and those skills are transferable. If you go yeah. to, you know, Asia or Europe or Africa or wherever you can pick up a hammer and start, you know, you can start doing your trade there. So it right. gives you the ability to travel, to work in other places, all while not having to go to college and spend, you know, tens of thousands of dollars yeah. on that. And so, I, you know, I think it's something, and I think more parents are being cognizant, cognitive of that. Yeah. Cognizant? Cognizant. That. Yeah, cognizant. One yeah, of those words. Word. Yeah. <laughs> Good words. College words, um, right? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Um, but no, I think that's that's great. Yeah, so. I... I I would not give anything for my college experience because it made me brave, but I, I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. And mm -hmm. I'm, you know, I'm, I still kind of fight that sort of mentality. <laughs> and I will say I'm 59, little disclaimer, and I love being my age. I, I think that's one of the most fun things about this age is I, you know, the stuff that mattered just doesn't matter anymore. I, mm -hmm. I love being this age. I, I, I think it's a shame when we try to, think we have to be 29 you know anymore I'm like I'm too tired to be 29 it's like <laughs> so, but um but I get to love on 29 year olds and say you're gonna make it it's so awesome mm -hmm. but I I think I think what we're saying and I think you know I watch this and how you run the commons and I love that is that to be educated is important it's how you get that education that may right. be a different paradigm because um like you said YouTube like today I Every time I paint a painting, I try to do something I've never done before. I try to really just go out on a limb and try a new skill. So I wanted to paint stars, didn't know how to paint stars. So you hop on YouTube and you watch eight, you binge watch and you go, okay, I like that person's mm -hmm. technique. And then you learn, Yeah, you know, but if you quit learning, I think you just die. Right. You know, so. And that was something I think <clears throat> um, my, my wife, like growing up, that was something her mom instilled in her. Um, like their homeschool path was so different than most people's, mm. but like when, when one of her kids showed interest in something. So when my wife got interested in like, um, Egyptian mythology and stuff, like she, my, my mother-in-law took her to the library, wow. got her a ton of books on mythology, Egyptian mythology, and they studied all that. And then wow. there was a phase of Greek mythology and all these different things. And there was a, I think there was a year where they were like super, she was interested in rock. So they like got into geology. And so like they, she just went with the passions of what she was learning, but what she was teaching in mm -hmm. all of those was the love of learning and how to learn. And that's where, that's what the kids nowadays need to learn. That's what I, you know, that's where I struggle at times where I'm like, how do I learn this? How do I figure this out? Right. Like that's where I've had to work on and getting through because yeah, I think if you don't teach kids the love of learning and how to learn, mm -hmm. that's where you're doing a disservice. Whether they learn that in public school, private, or homeschooling, it doesn't matter. That's the skill sets they need to learn because then the sky's the limit. Yeah, because if you can, if you can pair up your dreams with love of learning, there you go, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you can do anything that's within your <clears throat> giftings. I, I kind of yeah. chafe when somebody says, you can be anything. Yeah. Well, I... I, th I think you can be amazing, absolutely, because I think every single individual is amazing. But I'm pretty sure that I'm not going to be an astronaut because my skill set is just not, you know, there. If, if the control panels were all in color, maybe, you know. But, <laughs> but, um, but I think what, what your in-laws did was discover you, they, they were a student of their child, mm -hmm. you know, and that was the best advice, I think, parenting advice we ever got was become a student of your child. Find out what makes them tick. And I remember my parents saying, we, we don't want to tell you what to think. And we know what we think. You know, I would ask a question and mm -hmm. I never got a straight answer. <laughs> oh, my word. Oh, you know, sometimes just don't give me, don't make me answer 80 questions. I just want to know, you know. How many states are there in the United States? You know, just, <laughs> well, how many do you think there are? How many have you visited? Oh, my goodness. You know, but, <laughs> but 
my, both my parents said, we want to teach you, if we can teach you how to think, then we won't worry about you. You know, just how mm-hmm. to learn, how to, how to think things through, how to follow it as far as you can down any road, you know, just how to logic. You know, well, if this mm-hmm. is true, then that's true. If this is true, then that's true. But that can't be true, but that is true. So, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I don't yeah. know. I was raised by a lot, with a lot of philosophy, a lot of theology, yes. a lot of, you know, but yeah. it always reminds me. Did you ever read the Chronicles of Narnia books? Yes. So like the when whenever the professor's talking, he's like, "What do they teach kids in school these days?" <laughs> it's always fun. so true. He's got that ball. I love that. That's one of my favorite <laughs> scenes. Uh, yeah. So very cool. So <clears throat> one of your your past projects that um, I was as through my research was talking about the show and tell family projects. Yeah. What was what was that? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, when Rich and I got married, we were introduced because we were both doing theater. I was pursuing uh, a master's degree in theater, pursuing. I didn't do it. I got married. (laughs) But I knew I was supposed to pursue it and and see if that's something I really wanted to do is really um, follow the theater thing. Both of us had a passion for family, for family life and healthy family structure and... um, protecting the innocence of kids because they were being required to grow up so fast and they didn't get to dream, didn't get to play, didn't, you know, get to be kids. They were expected to be little adults and um, have your career path set up by the time you're in first grade, kind of practically mm-hmm. the way the education system was going. And we're education family, so, you know. Um, but so we met um, because some friends thought that Rich would be a great resource for me to get ready for auditions. And... So he helped me get soundtracks ready, and um, then we um, dated three months, and three months after that, we were married. So in six months, yeah, we were pretty fast, but we were in our 30s. I'll disclaimer this. We knew ourselves really well. But so immediately after our honeymoon, we started teaching theater. Rich already had gigs set up, and so intro wife, and here we are as a team. And so we would do special uh, request. I mean, people would say, can you do this? Can you do that? You know, and we were kind of fitting our skills into other people's dreams. And that was fine for a while because we didn't know what our dream was. And um, so finally we had, we we thought, what are we doing? And so we invited, we had three separate nights and we invited business uh, leaders. Um, we had people from the board of directors from Warren Beach Camp. We had Mark Crawford and Nancy. We had um, people we knew who were passionate about family life, who were wholesome. And over the course of those three meetings, probably about 50 people came through our living room. And we said, you know us well. What do you see us doing? You know, how, how do you think we should use our gifts? What do, you, what do you think would be a great blend? And they all said, 100%, start a nonprofit and do community theater. And... So we started show and tell family projects and we called it projects because we didn't want to get into a certain mold. We wanted some flexibility. So each project was different and we would write musicals. We would have um, a typical cast would be anywhere from 25 to 70 people. Wow. We would have huge choruses and ages five up to, I think our oldest cast member was 80, maybe 78. Like yeah, all of them Very dancing, nice. all of them singing, you know, and and, and you would write the like you we wouldn't would be doing them. other musicals. You yeah, do, you're doing yeah. wow. Our, I think our favorite, everybody's all time favorite, was called The Pirates of Christmas, and that was written the year the Pirates of the Caribbean came out. And it was on a dare. A dare. It was a. Um, we were doing theater for the Lights of Christmas. Oh, okay. So we would do the youth program. Okay. And, for them, and so um, we were doing a show, and we were um, meeting with the director at that time was Jeannie Patterson, and she said what are we doing next? And so I said, the Pirates of Christmas. I mean, literally out of delirium because we were so tired and we had just been to see the movie, you know, and Johnny Depp's all out there for everybody. And so she laughed and we just had a laugh. We go, and then we started saying, why not? And And she goes, well, how would you do that? And I started singing this song. Don't ask me why or where it came from. Best songs come out of when you're tired. I think, (laughs) you know, I said, well, we could do like the Pirate ABC. She goes, what? What? I said, a pirate must be ready for the sea, delightful evenings. And I, she said, and I stopped right there, and she says, I dare you to finish. I said, well, you know, a pirate's favorite letter is R. You know, and so on a dare, I finished the song. We went through the whole alphabet. Wow. And um, 
and it's been used in school and, you know, for kids' programs. And, and it was just half the time when you're walking in your gifts, I think that's when the best stuff happens because you're just, you know, it's like everybody said, that's so hard. It's going, no, that's not hard. What you do is hard. What I do is fun, you know. Yeah. But I think if you're walking in your gifts, that's how it feels, yeah. you know. But not to say that you don't put in hours and hours of work, right. but it doesn't feel like if I were having to do math, say, for instance, you know, <laughs> or balance. If I did your job, Brandon, I'd be a, the whole place would be a mess. Let's just say that. <laughs> the jury's still out on that, so oh, we'll get man. through there. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. So then how, you guys did that for how long then? I, you know, I was trying to think. I was going to ask Rich how long we did that. We, Lena was... Um, I think like a five years old. So we did it eight to 10 years. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I think, so good, a good I think, chunk of time. And then... Yeah. But I would have to check out. The, like I say, I don't do, I don't think about numbers. Yeah. So we did it for yeah. <laughs> a few yeah. years. Yeah. Good. Okay. And then what, what kind of finally made it so you guys decided to shut it down, that project and move on? Well, the kids launched and they had become... By that time, our co-directors, our co choreographers I mean, Lena and I would choreograph songs in the car, literally, and then we'd, we'd say, okay, you know, and we're kicking our feet and waving in the back seat, and, you know, <laughs> be, it'd be funny to video from the outside. It's <laughs> like, do you, need, do you need help? You know, is this a 911? But, um, and then we'd go to rehearsal early and make sure it worked, and she would teach it. And she, both of them, we just threw them into things and they grew up on stage without fear because they were like, I didn't know you were supposed to be afraid, you know, because, but we never pushed them to do it. We just said, like when they were little, they didn't want to. Davis was into baseball and Lena was super shy. She was a Klingon. She did not let go of my leg, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and then suddenly they were like, we want to do this. And I was like, okay, you know, because like we were talking about earlier, we just wanted them to I mean, we were faithful baseball parents. We were out there every weekend and keeping the score and freezing in a blanket for me, you know. It's like, <laughs> so, but yeah, but they picked up on music and absolutely loved it. And they neither one are afraid of a camera. They're not afraid of a stage or a spotlight. It's just kind of natural for them. Yeah. Yeah. But as they grew up and launched, um, it's it was a second full-time job. We were basically rich, poor guy was working, you know, who was teaching full-time and then we would come home, literally work all through supper, work all night, you know, and we kind of, I finally vetoed shop talk during supper. I said, this is family time and it, I can't digest my food when I'm stressed. And, you know. Yeah. So it just kind of got to be too much. And the, um, the core of leaders that we had coming through the era when we were doing it, were all graduating. And they, I mean, the cool thing was, a lot, I would say a huge percentage of, um, well, if our kids came out of show and tell, they would end up with leads in the high school plays. And that was really gratifying, really fun that they yeah. had gotten those skills and stuff. And, and cause the high school does a phenomenal job, Sims and Ronning, they're incredible how they blend their skills together. Yeah. I mean, they, they, I'm still in awe of those two, but, um, so our core was gone and if you don't have that core of self-motivated leaders, right. it's really hard to keep it going. And so we were tired. The, the, I think the cast was tired. And mm-hmm. then we just, you know, had that gut feeling like it's time to let this go. Well, little did we know, we, we closed down show and tell. And then my dad, um, his health began to fail and they moved in with us. And there was no way we could have possibly. Right. So it just kind of all worked out really, really well. I think we... I think sometimes you just have a gut feeling something's about to happen. Right. No idea what it is, but we're about to have a shift in our family structure. And so that, I'm, we're grateful that the timing worked out that way because we couldn't yeah. have done it. We yeah. just couldn't have done it. So, yeah. That's very cool. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> cool. So then, so that moved on. And then um, then you were a parent and taking care of yep. your parents. Yeah. Um, when did you get started with uh, Lydia C. Creative Life? Lydia C. Creative Life got its name probably two years ago. Um, but about four years ago, I was really struggling with seasonal affective disorder, which in here is basically the inability to get enough light in your body and it, and you just get sad. And that's why it's called SAD. It's called seasonal affective disorder. It's a very real chemical thing. And I would, I would say to Rich, I cannot wake up 
I'm depressed. I have no idea why. There's nothing wrong. I love my family. Nothing's going, you know, nothing is wrong in my life, but I am depressed. And a teacher um, at school said, you listen to her. That's very real because I grew up in a different latitude. Yeah. And so um, I literally wasn't getting enough vitamin D. It wasn't getting enough light. We lived in the woods, Mm -hmm. you know, and... um, so we started making shifts just to get me healthy. And part of it was going to counseling. I, I went to a dear friend. I'd been to counseling school and I was like, I can't figure this out. I don't know. You know, I don't know. Is this too early for menopause? I don't know what this is, you know. And so um, he said, yeah, this is a real thing. And he, he, but he's, what we discovered through trying to deal with this medically as well is that I was a hyper, hyper perfectionist. And he said to me, he said, man, Lydia, we were very good friends. We'd been friends for 20 years, Mm -hmm. you know, but um, he said, you start every sentence with should. I should do this. I should do that. I should. And um, I said, I know. I said, every thought in my head is I should. And I'm always feeling guilty about what I'm not doing because I should be doing something else. And I said... So he looked at me, he says, we got to get you started thinking something else. And I, I was blank and he's looking at me, trying to let me answer my own question, you know, good counseling. And then I looked at him, I kind of gave him this sideways grin and I said, so what should I say? You know, it's like, (laughs) but he said, how about this? I would like to. And I was only there for a short time. It was just kind of to re, re trigger, you know, I think I went to see him like six times and, um, and I believe in counseling. I mean, because, like I said, I went to counseling school, counselor's training school is so valuable because we're moving so fast in our culture that we don't stop to feel sometimes. Yeah, and I, you know, um, sorry to butt in, but like, yeah, I've done, um, like, my wife and I have both done counseling on our own, um, and with each other, like, we were at, hit our 10-year anniversary, and we're like, well, you know, nothing seems wrong, but let's go to counseling and just kind of see where we're at, and, you know, basically the guy's like... You, you guys are fine. Like, so okay, good. we're just, you know, it, but it is. It's something that, like, we thought was important. To, we want, first of all, like, for ourselves personally, there's a lot of changes we've gone through, mm-hmm. um, you know, and so we were like, we need to work through some of these things and how do we process certain things. For me, it was a lot of, like, how do I process, like, more stress, um, yeah. little things, um, you know, I'm on the Enneagram, I'm a nine, so I avoid conflict. So conflict's hard. So when I have to have difficult conversations, it just kills me. And so like, how do I deal with that? How do I work through that? How do I not let myself be run over in mm. situations? Um, and in talking with the counselor, it was really helpful and it wasn't, you know, it's, you're just going and you're talking and you have a conversation with someone that's willing to listen and then ask questions to keep you thinking about different ways and approaches and stuff. And, um, I thought it was very helpful. So, yeah. Yeah. I I think a smart person knows when they need some advice, Mm -hmm. you know, a a wise person seeks advice in, in, well, at the end of that, he said, Lydia, I want you to do something. He said, and, and Steve, um, Steve Altebeff, free push for him because he's fantastic. He works with a lot of creatives musicians, you know, arts. He goes, I don't get this kind of thing in my mind very often. So when I do, I listen. He said, I want you to paint a self-portrait and it may take a while. And I ended up painting a dress. There's no facial features in the dress or whatever, but it was a self-portrait. It's, it's called Unveiled. And, um, it was about me being willing to be known for who I was. And it did, it took me two years to paint that dress. And Lena's, Lena was in middle school, so all her girlfriends are coming in. I love this dress. Well, it's, it's not actually going to be a pink dress. It's going to be a white dress. It's pink underneath. But, you know, and when it was all done, they all loved it. And so I began to see more and more dress designs. And that's how I started painting again um, because it was all straight from my heart. I had never painted without using reference. I, was, I would do portraits and commissions and you know, very detailed, very realistic, but it wasn't full of joy. It was full of pressure to make it perfect. And Mm -hmm. if it wasn't perfect, I just, my core fear is fear of rejection. And so if it wasn't perfect, I was afraid I was going to disappoint somebody. Um, I mean, I was, I was laughing this morning because uh, Rich said, are you ready for the podcast? I said, I just want to do a good job for Brandon. I just, you know, (laughs) you're doing great. (laughs) So, 
But my my I I have a hyper willingness to please and do something for somebody else. Mm-hmm. But I I would do that to the neglect of my own joy and myself, and um, and so that's even uncomfortable to say. Still, it's like that's the thing I'm learning. But Lydia C. Creative Life is about walking away from shame based thinking, and it. Um, my website's now up. It's brand new, Lydia C. Creative Life. And oh, very cool. We'll have that linked in the show notes. Oh, thanks. It, it's, it's where I, I'm hanging out. I'm not an expert at anything, really, uh, except exploring, I guess, you know, exploring thought. I, if I do anything well, it's ask questions, you know. But, <laughs> um, but it's kind of the place Lydia C. Creative Life is, is about living creatively, fostering creativity in your kids, um, letting yourself be creative in your own home. I mean, I think we look on Instagram and, and it's like, oh my word, that staircase with all those pumpkins is phenomenal. Well, A, I don't have that staircase. B, that's like $300 worth of pumpkins, you know? <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> so, so I, I, but I love those and I'm glad those people do that. I'm glad there are artists out there who are, who are, inspiring me but at the same time I want to say you know what just take two pumpkins and at least do something you know don't think well I can't do it like they're doing it so therefore I'm not going to try so I kind of want to just be a catalyst for people to be creative whether it's just painting your bathroom or your favorite color or whatever I think people that I have done color consulting and a um, little bit of decorating for people and actually got paid to do it. I mean, it blows my mind that I got to do something so fun and get paid for it, you know. But um, when when I did, what I discovered was people really know what they like, but they're afraid to like it because it's not what everybody else likes. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like maybe, I mean, everybody's painting with gray. I happen to love gray, but not everybody likes gray, but they th- feel like they have to use gray because everybody's using gray. Well, you really don't. You yeah. know, you can incorporate gray. You can have some gray accents or something if you want to be on trend. Mm-hmm. But you don't have to surround yourself with something that you don't personally love. You know, so that's what Lydia C. Creative Life is all about. And most of what I do, I paint. I'm, you know, I'm here at the Dorsey Studios two days a week painting mm-hmm. live. I, it's my happy place. I feel like I'm in heaven <laughs> my two days a week here. And um, my work is selling and it kind of blows my mind. It's humbling and to come in and see something off the wall, and it's like, oh, oh, you know, <laughs> it's gone. <laughs> you know? And my first thought is, did somebody steal it? You know, it's like, <laughs> but no, it actually sold, and people Very like cool. it. You know? <laughs> so, yeah, no, we love. I mean, it, I love having love having you up there. Oh, um, thanks. Um, you and then the Dorseys, just having you guys all up there, and the energy and everything. It's um, it's so much of what we were hoping for with with getting that oh that's so cool wrenched out and we were like it we couldn't be happier that so. you know we've talked quite a bit about how to uh what, there's a verse that uh, it says seek the prosperity of the community where i've placed you because if they prosper you'll prosper and uh, yeah i think when we think of prosperity i think we think first of money but um and we all have to have money i'm not you know mm-hmm. money's a, a neutral but I think it's so much more than that, that if we build our community, you know, you're, you're just happier when, you, when you're helping people. I mean, I love name dropping in, in the sense that, um, not my association with them, but in the sense that this is a really amazing place and you should know about it. I mean, if I have something that I love, I want to bring my friends there, yeah. you know, so I'm constantly trying to say, have you heard this piece of music? Have you heard this, you know? Right. And I think the Commons does that. And mm-hmm. I mean, you look at all the local artists who are featured in the gift shop. It's incredible, you know? And yeah. I'm, I'm way back when Christy was doing this in the coffee shop, yep. in, the, in the warehouse yeah. every Christmas, I did, um, I did one of those and had a blast and just was so behind her vision for what she wanted to do. And it's just so fun to watch her, you know, just yep. She's still herself. at it. Yeah, I know. It's crazy good. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. Um, actually, um, kind of jumping off that. Um, so with, with Lydia C. Creative Live Life and what you're doing with that, part of that is you, you've got a new project that you're wanting to start up, hopefully beginning of next year, right? Yeah. So yeah. talk about that and what are you calling it? And I, I don't know if we've, we've um, 
named it yet, but it'll be something like Jumpstart. You know, it's it's like for emerging artists, we really want to champion emerging artists. When when, and that doesn't mean somebody who's young necessarily. It just means somebody who's not out there, who's that that gap when you're trying to launch into it. If you really want to do it, um, it's good to have a initial experience to say. Oi, this is more work than I thought it was. I mean, it's not all glamorous. You know, you're you're schlepping your stuff in the car and you're, you know, trying to figure out frames are expensive. There's a lot of outlay and risk involved, as with anything. Um, so whether that emerging artist is in their 50s or in their teens, we want to uh, to champion those people and introduce the community to these people. And because um, there's some amazing artists. And you know maybe they're not in the associations yet because literally they they're not sure they want to take that step or whatever. So we can, um, you know, interview them and do a live little feed for them and let people know who they are and give them a space to be seen. And so we're um, Lydia C Creative Life and Dorsey Studios and Camino Common Marketplace. We're all going to partner together and let this be a place where. Um, where these these people can take their first step out, you know, and and say, okay, I really loved that, or I really hated that, you know, and, yeah. and see what it's like. Yeah. yeah, no, that sounds like a great. I'm really excited about it. when you start talking about the project. Um, definitely excited to get on board with it and and see where that goes because I think there's, you know, there's not. We talked a little bit about earlier on, but just there's not a lot. That, I mean, there's just so many places in life where you don't get to fail small. Right. It's like an all or nothing thing. Yes. And it's nice to be able to give them these platforms. You know, kids get it all the time, but you don't understand that that's what you're getting as a kid. But as an adult, you realize like there's places where it's hard to fail small and just learn. Um, and providing that platform and that ability is, is really neat. I so, love that. So. Fail small. I'm going to keep that. I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to quote you <laughs> so, because that's so important. I think we have the pressure not to fail. Mm -hmm. You know, that if you fail, you're a failure. And that's just not true. You fail and you learn and you get up and you go, oh, I won't do that again. Yeah. You know, or I don't even want to ride a bike anymore. But, you know, <laughs> right. I think um, that's really good. Fail small. I like that because that, it's kind of like that phrase, fall forward. You know, mm -hmm. you're going to fall, but try to fall forward, you know. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. There is. Um, <laughs> this is more nerdum nerdum coming out but like uh there's a part in batman which is when um uh his butler says why do we fall down mr wayne and he's <laughs> like so we can get back up again but i was i was like oh that's such a great line <laughs> that really is that really is well and you know you think you think you're strengthening your balance you're strengthening your muscles yeah it's, well i mean it's it's like the classic you don't Lena and Davis at different times were really frustrated with themselves that they didn't have something down. And I said, you know what? And it was a parenting thing and a, probably a character thing. And I would said, I said, you're not, we don't expect you, you weren't born knowing this. We don't expect you to know this. You need to learn it. Yeah. And, and we need to talk about it, but we're, you're not a failure. It's just time to learn this. Mm -hmm. You know, you're, you're 16, you're 15, you're 12, you're, you know, this is the time in your life when you have to learn, you know, how to, you know, make sure the headlights are off in the car if they're not automatic because the car drains or, you know, it's, you have to learn. So, right. so you drain the battery. Okay. Well, you go fix it. But, yeah. you know, it's, you're not a failure. You just didn't know. Yeah. You yeah. Know? No, for sure. Yeah. No matter what stage of life you are, you're still always learning and my youngest trying to get him potty trained, but sometimes he just, <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately he doesn't see that as an issue so much. He's just like, priority over he's his just like man, I, I missed, I like, just take these pants off. I don't need them anyways. And walk off. You're like, what are you doing? But you know, <laughs> that's three year olds. <laughs> yeah. There you go. There you go. Oh my word. That's funny. Oh, so, um, and, and then lastly, I wanted to touch on how did you get in, in, um, bleh. how did you get connected with the Dor Dorseys? Oh, that is a great story, actually. Um, we knew Roger and April. April is Jed's sister. And then we've known Jack and Annie for, mm -hmm. I mean, Rich knew them long before I ever moved here. And family friends. Jed's the youngest of the family. And he, when I moved here, he and Renee were in Indianapolis. So I didn't know him at all. Yeah. And um, 
So April and I were talking, and she said, hey, I took a workshop with my brother, Jed. And I said, oh, man, next time that happens, let me know. And I think I missed the next one. And then um, one night, we had decided to close show and tell. Parents moved in, and Rich and I always read in bed. And he rolled over, and I thought he was asleep, actually. And he goes, it's time to paint. And it was just out of the blue, out of nowhere. And I had painted some commissions and done some things, but I hadn't really painted, you know, as a studio habit. I hadn't developed any full-time anything. And so then the, either the next day or within a week, a friend of mine from Alabama called. She goes, I'm calling you to say it's time to paint. And I was like, okay, I think, you know, this is a message. <laughs> so I'm listening. And... Um, and then that overlapped with the time with Steve Altabev saying, you need to paint a self-portrait. So I was hearing it in stereo. It's time to paint. And I was so scared because um, I didn't know if I wanted to be that vulnerable. Um, and so I looked at Rich and I said, okay, but I need to take a class because I haven't really painted in years, like a long, long time. Because when I graduated from college, even though I had an art degree, I got told... So it's great you're an artist, but what are you going to do to make a living? Mm -hmm. And I didn't pursue art as a living, you know, and I, I, I don't resent it, but there's a lot about that I regret um, because you can make a living as an artist. You, it's, but you've just got to be willing to pay the price. You know, yeah. it's, 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 it's a hefty it's price. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. And so um, then I saw April right around the same time she goes Jed's doing another oh she emailed me and she said hey Jed's doing another workshop so all this timing was like the perfect not the perfect storm but the perfect I don't know awakening or whatever I don't know what to say but um so I, I he was coming in from Indianapolis to do a three-day workshop at Sunny Shore Studios which had just been built by his brother Jason and um so I came in and ate it up I mean I I was so in awe of a, his work, but B, how he approached art. Because most of my teachers, not, not Jeannie, but since then, um, since my childhood teacher, they would come up, and even in the class, um, some really amazingly trained, experienced artists would come up to your work and say, I can tell you what's wrong with that. And, and as a perfectionist performer trying to get out of it, you know, it's like, I know what's wrong with it. I could give you a bigger list with what's wrong with it. You know, so, so, but then Jed would walk up and he would go, so, how are you doing? And, and I was like, I'm struggling. And he goes, well, what do you like about it? And he asked me that and it shocked me so much that that was his first question. I actually started crying. I'm embarrassed to say, but I just, I start, he said, I'm sorry, did I strike a nerve? I said, I didn't know I get, got to like it. It had to be right or good or wrong or bad, you know. But he said, no, this is your painting. You're the boss of your own painting. He said, you get to like it. And you get to, you don't even have to paint what's on that picture, Lydia. You can change anything you want. This is your baby. And I was like, oh, you know, freedom, you know, kind of stuff. <laughs> And so then the second question he would always ask is, what do, you, what do you want to change about it? He didn't say what was wrong. He just said, what do you want to change? What do you want to have different about it? And then he would work with you to create what you wanted. And to be able to want what I wanted was a whole new, you know, I was just in a list of shoulds. And I was coming into wants and joy and freedom and... Um, you know, it's, I mean, I, I, and again, I never, I wasn't a person to walk around frowning and crying and morose. I mean, I was a happy person, but this area of my life had been so stuffed all my life that I just didn't know it was even available. And Jed was the one who woke that up. I, the way I describe his art is his colors come off the canvas and kind of wrap around you. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the painting just kind of comes around you. Whereas other paintings are fabulous and they're beautiful, but they're beautiful because they accurately portray something that is already beautiful on its own. And so you're looking at a great representation, mm -hmm. but Jed paints what he feels about it. I mean, he'll take English boom and they'll be, if you study it, it's like there's hot pink and vibrant orange and turquoise. And it's like, if you went there, you wouldn't necessarily see that, but, but you feel it. Yeah. You know, and so he paints how you feel about that scene. Yeah. And that's why people go up and they go, oh, 
I love that. Well, and, and I was talking to him about on the when on his podcast um, about like when he painted he did a um, a portrait of my mom's and her siblings, yeah, which I saw that. had never happened in that way, obviously. But he painted it, and it's such a neat painting, and just how he captured like this is how we wish it could have been. Yeah, yeah. And it was so. It's. I mean, it's so meaningful to my mom and um, to the family. And if you can do something, if you can capture an emotion and make it reality like that for your mom, you know, now she has something real to hang on to. Like, yeah, yeah, maybe it never happened this way, but this is how I want to remember what was available to us, even though we didn't quite get there. You know, I can still have, I can still keep the hope that I had as a little girl, you know, that he does that. And I, that's what I'm still trying to learn. I'm, he's my mentor and my little brother. That's, you know, we laugh about that. I mean, you know, but it works for us and it's great. And he'll come up and I'll say, okay, Jed, I'm stuck. And like in two seconds, he's like, well, have you tried? And I was like, well, no, I haven't. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) You know, but, um. Yeah, I think if I had an art goal, it would not be to necessarily mimic his style, but to have that trait about my paintings that they that they fly off the canvas and wrap people up. You know, yeah. if I can do that, then I will be one happy fifty nine year old emerging artist. You know, kind of yeah, thing. yeah. So then, when they moved back from Indianapolis, is, did you get right. connected right away? Or well, we yeah, because he was still teaching, and we had kept up. He did two workshops and. I would I would come early and stay late, and we would just sit and talk and chat, and and I'd help Annie clean up, and um, couldn't wait to meet Renee and Willow because they were off in Indianapolis, and Willow was their daughter, and she's a precious. I love her to death, and um, so um, you know I'd start emailing Renee and just getting to know her just a little bit because she was the his amazing administrator. Everybody needs a Renee in their life. I mean, she's. Incredible. And she has a really good artistic eye too. So she, she's not only got that organized brain, but she has, she's artful about it. Um, you know, when she hangs the gallery, she's artful about it. And it's it's, not everybody can do that. No, every time she's set something up or done something, it's always, it feels good. Yeah. 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 She's a little, she's a little genius of her own. But, um, so I knew I would love her, you know, and, um, she's Canadian and my son was going to college in Canada. And so that was another fun connection. So she and I hit it off really easily and I love her more every day. She's just great. Yeah. So we've kind of just become family and art family, you know, and, um, they're starting acrylic university. Yeah. So that's huge. I'm sure you guys covered that. So Rich and I are going to do that, and um, together it's a great date your mate kind of thing to do. Oh, very cool! You know, because you can do it in the privacy of your own home. And, you yeah, know, kind of <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah very cool. So. All right. <clears throat> well, I like to end all the podcasts with some rapid fire questions about the island. Um, so the first one is: um, Do you have a secret or lesser known location on Camino that you like to hang out? I love Iverson Beach, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of people know about it. Um, but if, if you take the trails, there's the little Hobbit trail. And now that they've opened Barnum Point, have you done the trails at Barnum Point? No. I, oh. Okay, I've been told about it so many times, and I should get out there. Your kids would love it. It's flat, easy walking. Okay. I mean, you know, it's not even like state park hiking. There's, it's, just, it's just a stroll, literally a stroll in the park. Um, but the view is gorgeous. And the, all, the inn, Barnum Point Inn, is gone um, they took that down. Mm. So it's just an open clearing where that was. And there's, you know, wild apple trees, I guess they were planted at one point, you know, and it's just beautiful. The eagles are flying over and then you go through little wooded areas and they've done an amazing job of doing that park. I, that's where we love to go. And, um, English boom is mm-hmm. whenever tourists come here, they yeah. go, where can we go for a picnic? I always send them to English boom. Yeah. And, you know, or my house. I like to hang out in my backyard. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. <clears throat> All right. Uh, pretend you have a friend coming in from out of town um, and they haven't been to the island before. What would the first day look like here? Well, of course, I mean, literally, we would come here to Camino uh, Commons Marketplace for coffee early in the morning, start with coffee and a baked good. And then I would take them someplace outside because I think the island is all about outside. Mm-hmm. Um and then um, 
probably lunch either in Stanwood um, or even La Conner or whatever and just show them the surrounding areas because yeah. the island is so peaceful because invariably they come back and they go, this is like the most special place of all. And we're prejudiced and we agree. In the <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the island is its own special little thing. And then kind of supper would be just family hanging around the house, bonfire outside or fireplace inside and talk until wee hours of the morning, you know. I come from a long line of talkers, so that's what we, we are very entertained just talking. So. Yeah, yeah, nothing like a good conversation. That's right. Um, uh, who is the most interesting or fascinating person in this community that I should inter- uh, interview next? I have another little brother, two, two guys that are like my little brothers, and the, he is Jimmy Gerson, Dr. Jimmy Gerson. He's a family practitioner, and um, we became friends because we built our houses right at the same time. And our kids grew up loving each other, and we've done vacations together, and we've laughed through a lot of things together. And he has a the rare desire that is almost gone now of to be a small town doctor, community doctor, where you actually know your patients. I mean, uh, you know, he will show up and stitch your fingers up. He does the football team, not because he, he's he's not a glory seeker. He just really loves his community. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he'll do the match, <clears throat> the what they call him, the race card, the um, soapbox derby. Soapbox derby, yeah. yeah. You know, he's just every everywhere where people are, there he is because he just loves community. Yeah. And his wife Linda is the same, and and they've started Safe Harbor Free Clinic, and that was because he went overseas um, when their youngest Micah was born, um, they had always wanted to adopt. And we laughed because Jimmy was going to Asia for a trip. And and Linda said, you know, he's planning this trip and chances are a baby will come through while he's out of the country. And of course, that's exactly what happened. So I got to drive her down to the airport to pick up Micah. And um, (laughs) it was so, so fun. But because I've watched him for so many years and his heart... They, he and Linda said, you know, we're doing all these mission trips. We're doing, everybody goes overseas. He goes, who's serving the poor here? Mm-hmm. You know, who, there was no place in, in, within an hour of here yeah. at all. And so they started Safe Harbor Free Clinic, which is in Stanwood. And it is it, phenomenal. It's absolutely phenomenal. And um, they're, they're expanding and they're growing. They offer dental services. The dental truck comes through. I think it still does. Um, but... It's just a heart of compassion to care about people. I mean, we've been blessed. And so if you're not sharing what you've been blessed with, it really starts to implode on you. It becomes a a prison instead of a gift. Yeah. And I would say they're the most free people I know. They're constantly giving. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. They're, they're great family. Yep. Um, Hannah worked for us um, in the ice cream stand when it first started. Um, and when she realized that how much school she had to do yeah. and all of her stuff, extracurricular stuff she was doing, she couldn't do it. She felt so bad when she said like, I just don't think I can keep going. Oh, no. Um, and we're like, no, like it's fine. You're, you're good. And so, yeah. um, but anyway, she's come in quite a few times since, so she's doing all right. So yeah, she and Lena are super close friends and, um, she, that girl will change the world. I can't wait to see what she does. Yeah. Um, she's, she's gold. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. All right. Um, and then if you could have a message on a billboard on Camino Island, just right as you're driving up the hill, what would that say? Th- that was the most amazing question. Um, I think I've gone through several things, but I think that what I would say is, do you have any clue how much you are loved? And it would just be a plain white sign with black letters. Just do you have any clue how much you're loved? Because I think... Um, we we understand that there's a concept of God or there's a concept of, I think everybody, you know, has a supernatural side to them or a spiritual side to them, but very few really understand that they're loved. I mean, even people who grow up with a conservative Christian viewpoint don't get how much we're just, we're loved. And, mm-hmm. and it, when I started to get that, it totally um, freed me from comparing myself to other people. Because if you know you're loved, 
you have what you need. You don't have to measure up, you know, and then you're free to give out, you know, it, it, it just frees you up. You know, you can, you can give to other people, you can give your place to somebody else and not worry there's no place for you, you know, that kind of stuff. And, um, so that would be it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really good. That's actually reminds me a lot of my cousin, Dan. Um, he said a similar thing. He said there was, and actually some person had put it out, uh, as you're driving around the corner at Terry's corner, like the tip of it. Um, and he, I forget who it was, but they put out a sign that all it said was, uh, you matter. Oh, wow. And it was about, um, it was for, uh, suicide prevention Mm -hmm. act reasoning. Um, but uh, he, he said it just resonated with him. He's like, I've never had suicidal thoughts. That's not why. Right. But it just, yeah, I think in this world of social media and likes and shares and all these different things that are going on around us, we get lost in the minutia of that stuff. Yeah. And don't, we're always looking for outside affir- affirmation that like we matter, you know, they approved of us, whatever. And we don't have any sort of grounding in our, right. in what we've been who we are and who we've been, what we've been given yeah. as gifts or, or whatnot. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. That's so cool. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. This is really fun. This is my first experience doing this and secret confessions. I've always wanted to do one. So thank you. You did this great. Is really, really this fun. This has been awesome. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining me. And Islanders, I will talk to you on the next one. Well, a big thank you to Lydia Crouch for joining me on the podcast. And thank you for listening. If you haven't already, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform. And for more information on this episode or previous episodes, go to kamenocommons.com slash podcast. That's kamenocommons.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening and see you next time.